0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: Targeted ransomware can be absolutely devastating for companies, and they can find themselves facing, you know, six-figure ransoms.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Later in the show, Carol Terrio joins us once again, and she speaks with Mark Stockley. He's from the Naked Security blog, and they're going to talk about the trouble's Humans have with creating secure passwords. Mm. And we are back, Joe. I'm going to kick things off this week with a confession. (laughs) I was nearly scammed. Ah, this was a close call. So uh, let me just dig in here. So you may be aware from listening to me on this podcast and other podcasts that I enjoy live theater Yes. I enjoy attending live theater. I enjoy occasionally performing in live theater. That's right. And so there's a local theater group, sort of a community theater group. And, and a couple times a year, they hold a fundraiser. They have what they call their cabaret night. And that's mm-hmm. where they bring in performers from the region who come in and they all perform for free. You know, someone will come and do a number. Maybe they'll preview a number from a show that's going to be opening soon. People come and for the low, low price of $12, you get right. a seat at this cabaret night and you can buy Beer and wine, and then they have cheese and snacks and things like that. So it's a, a nice quick way for this group to raise a couple thousand dollars to help them finance the productions they put on throughout the year. This cabaret night was coming up, and I had forgotten to purchase tickets. Mm. And I noticed that the event was sold out. In fact, the, the title of the event, they'd actually added the words sold out to the title of the event. Oh. So I was a little bummed out, but I reached out to a friend of mine who happens to be on the board of directors of this group, and I said, Hey, Is there any way I can come? I'd love to see my friends perform. I'd love to support the group. Are there any tickets that you're holding back? And he said to me, Well, good news somebody just posted on the group's Facebook page that he has four tickets available for tonight's event. Oh, I thought this is great. Yeah. So I go onto Facebook and I go to the event page. And sure enough, there's someone there who says, I have four tickets for tonight. Let me know if you need them. So I reached out and I I responded on Facebook in the group and I said, I will take one of these tickets. And uh, this person responded and said, private message me. And so I private messaged him and he said, the tickets are $200 each.
0: (laughs) For a $12 cabaret
2: show. Yes. Now, the response that you just had is the same response that I had. Right. This is a $12 ticket to a community theater production. A hyper-local production, yes. I'm not Uh, going to see the Stones. I am not. Exactly, right. (laughs) Yes, I was thinking Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah, the Stones. Here's the thing. So now, for the first time, I go and check this person out. I go look at his profile. He's in Germany. He has no friends or followers. So now I'm thinking, all right, well, obviously this is a scam. This is a scammer. But I'm thinking, how did this scammer target this local little production? What he did was he did a search on Facebook for the phrase sold out. Ah. Because sold out was in the title of the event. They had updated the event to be fall cabaret night sold Sold out. out. So if you search for sold out, you get a nice handy little list of all the events coming up. That are sold out and this scammer would go from event to event and just post and say, "Hey, I got four tickets to that. (laughs) Now, here's the other part of this. Had this person done a little more homework and said the tickets were twelve dollars were twelve dollars, I would have paid him the twelve dollars. Right. Probably without checking him out. Yeah. Because I would have thought, well, this is a very local thing. This is a community thing. This was not on my radar that someone would be scamming something so
0: close to home. Maybe you would have caught on when he says, wire the money to me or give me a credit card or something like that. Because generally speaking, if you're going to buy a $12 ticket for a local cabaret theater, you're going to say, meet me at the McDonald's over in Harper's Choice. Yeah. And I'll give you 12 bucks. You give me the ticket. Yeah. And the guy from Germany is going to be like, I'm not flying... (laughs) <laughs> to,
2: no, right. to Maryland, we hop on the Concord. Right. <laughs> uh, that is true. I can imagine either something like PayPal or Venmo, one of the right. one of those handy little, or even um, you can do it with Apple Pay now. Yeah, right. Yeah, so right. there are lots of easy ways to transfer small amounts of money. But because this person didn't do any homework with just you know two hundred dollars, this is an absurd amount of money for right, an event right. like this, and this person didn't know that. So I went back to the Facebook page and posted, hey, everybody, just so you know, this is a scammer, right. know, scammer be gone. <laughs> but for me, the interesting part was it was really a nice little lesson for me on the stages that I go through in checking something out. If I had been buying tickets to the Rolling Stones or something where I might right. have been willing to pay a couple hundred dollars, yeah. yeah, well, I certainly would have done the homework to make sure that this was legit. Agreed. But uh, in this case, uh, it was not. I dodged the bullet because of the scammers' greed and lack of doing homework, and all's well that ends well, but- uh, I think
0: what you're talking about here is you have this internal risk assessment tool, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So you look at it like this. I'm going to go out and buy a ticket. Right. I'm not going to check on a guy because it's, what is it, 12 bucks. Nobody's right. going to scam me out of 12 bucks. And if they scam me out of 12 bucks, what happens? You're eh, out of 12 bucks. I'm out
2: of 12 bucks, right? yeah. Right?
0: But if they're going to sell you tickets for $200, you're going to be like- I think this is a bigger risk. I'm going to put more time into investigating who this is and what they have and see if they have any positive reviews, negative reviews. Yeah. I don't know that, that you're at fault here. And you can't really spend all of your time checking on things. At yeah. some point in time, it just becomes not cost effective. Right. So, you know, at some point in time, you're going to get scammed, like we've said, and, yeah. and it's just going to happen. But if you get scammed for a small amount, that's a lot better than getting scammed for $200 or, <laughs> God forbid, <laughs> is the stories we've heard on this. Sure. thousands of dollars.
2: Yeah. So I think for me, it was a little lesson learned. I'm right. Perhaps I'm a little less innocent than
0: I was. <laughs> Poor Dave, losing yeah. his boyhood innocence. <laughs> I know.
2: Well, word to the wise, though, because this ability to search on Facebook for the phrase sold out. Right. That was something I hadn't really thought about before. But uh, this particular scammer had and was uh, was, was taking advantage it. of that. That's right. It's so that's, that's my story this week. Joe, what do you have for us? So
0: this week I found an article from fifthdomain.com, where they were talking about a new survey that was done by a company called Thycotic, mm-hmm. Well-known company. They sell privilege management software and password management software. Password management software is one of my favorite tools. I know. So Thycotic did a survey of the hackers at Black Hat. You went to Black Hat, right? I did. Did you fill out this survey? I did not. The, the survey <laughs> found a couple of key findings. Half the participants said they had easily cracked into Windows 8 and Windows 10 machines. Okay. Right? In the past year. And almost all of them said they had compromised some manner of Windows machine some way. So that means that everybody pretty much gets into Windows machines.
2: Okay. Everyone at at a hacker's
0: conference- Can get into a Windows machine. Okay. All right. With some level of effort. Sure. Half of the hackers say it's easy. 40% say, you know, it takes some work, but I can do it. Okay. But despite the seemingly easy way to break into these things, they said that's not their preferred method of attack. Hmm. They said, 60% of the hackers in this survey said that they prefer social engineering because it's the fastest way to get access to a user's computer. Mm, mm -hmm. So this reminds me of an article I read years ago. It was about a penetration tester for industrial control systems. The question asked of this hacker was, how do you break into systems? Do you go out and you crack passwords? Do you go out and brute force them? He goes, yeah, I can do that. Mm -hmm. But- Why would I do that when I could just make 10 phone calls and get a password? Hmm. Because the point of the article was that 10% of people who, when you call them and ask them for a password, still give you a password. Right. Despite everybody's best efforts and the efforts of this show and the CyberWire and and every every network administrator out there will scream and yell and say, we never need your password. Don't give out your password on the phone. But still, at this point in time, 10% were doing it. Now, actually, that means that you only need like somewhere between an average of five and six calls to get in, right? Yeah.
2: Before the show, you were saying that this person had a
0: particular technique for this. So that was a a friend of mine back in the 90s who was doing some security assessments. He was working with, I think, SAIC. Hmm. But the way he would call in is he would call in to the people in the target organization. He'd say, I'm with your network security organization. I'm conducting a security audit. What is your username and password? And in the 90s, 50% of the people would give him the answer. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that has gone down over the years to about 10%, but still, that's way too high.
2: And they they give in to that authority. I'm calling on behalf of. We've talked about that. Yeah, we've talked about that that as well.
0: So the report had this interesting quote. While much attention is given to application and operating system vulnerabilities, zero-day attacks, malware, hackers still find it easier to trick users into simply handing over their credentials. That's a quote from the Thycotic report. Hackers also said they have a favorite tool for social engineering as well. 47% of the participants said that exploiting reused passwords was their preferred way of exploiting a victim. Mm -hmm. So I've been saying on this this show and on the CyberWire and and everywhere else, use a password <laughs> Shouting manager. Shouting from the building
2: <laughs> from the rooftops. Right. Use a password <laughs> manager.
0: Use a password manager. Yeah. Don't reuse passwords. Of course, the report suggests that network administrators adopt a least privileged strategy, which is just give the users just barely what they need to do their jobs. And of course, you can purchase tools like that from Thycotic. The US CERT, which is the Computer Emergency Response Team, says only give the users the minimum rights they need to do what they need to do. And I think it's important to
2: audit them, too, because sometimes I think it's quite common that someone will need to access something and then that access never gets revoked.
0: Right. That's a good point. So you sort of
2: get this accumulation of rights over time. Yep. Because no one's going back and saying, oh, this person doesn't need these rights anymore or making it so that it automatically expires after a certain amount yep. of time. And
0: users are just never going to tell you about needing those rights because no. <laughs> they don't want to go through the hassle of having to request them again.
2: Right. No, I think it's natural for people to kind of hoard those rights. Yeah. When, and why not? I can, I can completely understand that. Yeah. Probably done, done, done it myself. It. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, this week's catch of the day was sent in by a listener named Andrew. He had noticed that his iPhone was popping up unusual alerts from his calendar app Hmm. for events that he had not put into his calendar app. Really? And so he took a closer look at this and he saw that the events were clearly being generated by people who were up to no good. So for example, here's one of the email messages that had triggered a calendar alert. The topic of the message is all of myself from Catherine 26. And it says, Hey, I need you, all of you, and I want to give all of myself, every part to you. I've never felt this way before. Oh my God. I want you so badly. Can't wait seeing you, Catherine. <laughs> And of course, then there's a link
0: in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. So first of all, it is what it is, right? Right. Yeah. The standard sort of uh, come on with the promise of some sort of rendezvous or right. Yeah. <laughs> something yeah, who like who that. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? So I love Andrew refers to the sender of this email as excited Catherine, which I think is, <laughs> which is great. So this is run of the mill. These sorts of things happen all the time. But sure. what makes this interesting is that they included in these messages a calendar invite. Right. And some email clients, by default, when they see a calendar invite, will automatically put it in your your calendar calendar and automatically generate a pop-up to warn you that this event is coming up. So this is a way that the bad guys have figured out to put their message in front of you. Outlook does this by default. Right. To grab your attention without you doing anything in more than one way. And uh, Andrew pointed out that it seems as though even with some email clients, even if this is sent to the spam folder, the calendar event still gets populated in your calendar. Yeah. Huh. So he did some digging around and he found there are ways to disable this to make it not the default behavior. Right. So that's certainly worth looking into. But that's an interesting one. I had not seen this uh, use of calendar events to generate these spammy pop-ups. That's a
0: very creative use of uh, a use of the technology. Yeah. So that is our
2: Catch of the Day. Thanks to Andrew for sending that in to us. Of course, we appreciate all of you sending in these fun Catch of the Days. You can find out how to do that. Just visit the website, thecyberwire.com. And in the contact section, you can send us your Catch of the Days. Keep them coming. We love them. (laughs) We do. And coming up next, we've got Carol Terrio. She joins us. She's speaking with Mark Stockley. He's from Sophos' Naked Security blog. And they're going to talk about the troubles that we humans have with creating secure passwords. We are back, and Joey are pleased to have Carol Terrio back to join us uh, this week. She interviews Mark Stockley. He's one of the writers at Sophos's Naked Security, and they're talking about again one of the things that is near and dear to your heart, and that is <laughs> passwords, password managers. password managers. But but specifically, why do we humans have such a hard time creating secure passwords? Here's
3: Carol Terrio. So. I don't know about you guys, but working in the tech industry as a writer and podcast producer, I have a zillion online accounts for all types of apps, services, plugins, add-ons, portals, and each one of these has a password. Security experts tell us to have a unique password for each account. They tell us to make these difficult to crack, and by using capitals and mixing up characters and numbers and symbols. They tell us to make them long, and they tell us not to write them down or tell anyone. Now, is it just me, or is this a nigh-on impossible task? Without using my trusty password manager, I'd be up that creek without a paddle. And it turns out there may be a very good reason why I find this task so stupefyingly hard. I reached out to naked security writer Mark Stockley, In previous roles, he has managed large IT, web, and UX teams, and Mark has a keen understanding on human behavior, and he sees a huge disconnect between how our brains work and what good password creation requires of us. Talk to me about this disconnect between our brains and passwords. So
1: this year, there's been quite an interesting development in the way that ransomware is deployed, and the 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 state of the art now, if you like, is actually targeted ransomware. Uh, so targeted ransomware can be absolutely devastating for companies. Um, and they can find themselves facing you know, six-figure ransoms. And what all these different types of targeted ransomware attack seem to have in common is that they all start with cracking passwords. They all okay. start... They all get into the network, they get into your network in the first place by guessing a weak password. And I think we're kind of, we're used to the idea that um, phishing and social engineering preys on our human weakness. But actually the way that password cracking works, password guessing, um, is that also preys on our human weakness.
3: But we've been talking about passwords for, I'd say, decades. Surely people are creating much more difficult passwords. Like, I'm, I even, even my mum talks about replacing E's with 3's, you know?
1: That's a really interesting question, I think, because there's, there's two parts to that. The first is, I don't think there's any evidence that we're creating more difficult passwords at all. We are phenomenally resistant to education. You know, the, the amount of time and money that has been spent on trying to get people to choose passwords that aren't really bad you know not even good passwords but just passwords that aren't bad it's incredibly <laughs> difficult to educate people out of this problem so every year there's a there's a company i think it's um, splash data they produce a list of the 25 worst passwords uh, and I, I look at those lists every year because they're great for you know they're great for writing um stories about and they just don't change you know, the worst password in the world. And these, these passwords come from data breaches. So that, you know, you, you assemble all the leaked passwords from all the, the different breaches in the world and then rank them. And you will see that the most popular password in the world uh, is still 123456.
3: So it's not just that this is the worst password, it's also the most popular password. Well, that's why
1: it's the worst.
3: Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs>
1: <Because> <laughs> what you want your password to be. Is rare. You want your you want your password to be really hard to guess. So if your password is the one that the largest number of other people use, then you don't have a rare password, and it isn't hard to guess.
3: But okay, so if my auntie Jean creates a password using her pet's name or using um, the dates of birth of her kids, that's surely difficult to guess for strangers.
1: So it's more difficult to guess than one, two, three, four, five, six.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But,
1: but it's it is not as difficult to guess um, as a truly random password.
3: But how am I supposed to remember a random password?
1: I, I would su- I, I would suggest that you probably can't. And actually, the problem the problem that you have is not that you need to remember a random password. The problem is that you need to remember 25 random passwords. So I went through um, a whole bunch of research a few years ago. I was looking for how many accounts do people have online. And I was looking at this sort of research by people like Microsoft Research, who do lots of really good stuff on passwords. And you can see every time the research is done that the number of accounts that people are using online is going up and up and up and up. So, yeah, the problem with passwords is not simply that you need to remember something that's really difficult to remember, but you need to remember 25 things that are all really difficult to remember. You know, if I asked you to remember, if I had a deck of playing cards and I laid out 14 cards in front of you and said, well, there you go, Carol, could you remember that sequence of 14 cards so that next time we talk to each other, before we talk, you have to tell me those 14 cards.
3: Yeah? No, that's, I couldn't. I have a
1: bad, yeah? bad memory. <laughs> you would think I was insane. You would say, that's a terrible method of authentication, Mark. Who, who would ever come up with such a thing? But again, like, that's not the problem. The problem is not that you have to remember those 14 cards. You have to remember 25 different sequences of 14 cards. And the 14 is important, by the way, because the 14 is that's that's the sort of length of password that you need to have a password that is um, all but uncrackable.
3: And this might be a good time for you to talk to me about how this doesn't sit well with a human brain because it needs to what, classify and simplify things.
1: I mean, our our brains are designed around sort of remembering things as narratives and stories. And we're all about creating order out of chaos and looking for patterns and creating patterns. And, and, you know, we have biases that see us anchoring around things. You know, whatever the last number you heard was will influence the next number you guess, for example. So if I told you a low number, I could bet that the next number you guess would also be a low number. You know, I, I contend that... It's a human weakness. Our inability to create these passwords is a human weakness. And I think that's evidenced by a number of things. Firstly, the fact that we're simply resistant to education. You know, there's research that says that we are able to spot weak passwords. And yet we're still unable to produce them. And that's because we're just not designed around producing randomness. You know, we're designed around creating order. The Mm. human weakness is evidenced by, firstly, our resistance to education And then you can see in the habits that people have, like how do they work around the fact that they have to do this impossible task? Yeah. Um, So instead of remembering 25 really difficult passwords, people just reuse the same password over and over and over again. Makes it really easy for crooks to get a whole load of extra value from cracking your password. The other technique that we have for overcoming the sort of impossibility of remembering these 25 totally random strings of characters is to come up with a family of characters um, or to use some sort of formula. Anytime that you use a formula, you're doing a load of hard work on behalf of the crooks because the hardest thing for them to do is to guess a random password. And the more order and the more structure there are in your passwords, the easier they are to guess because the crooks can just ignore a whole bunch of things that your password might be. So there's, there's two different scenarios that we're talking about here. One is, I have a password database, and I don't know anything about the mm-hmm. people who are in that password database. Then I'm going to use dictionaries to try and crack those passwords. People often use real words for their passwords, or they use words with some modification. And so what I'm going to do to try and crack your password, I'm not going to just uh, go in there with a random guess or... I'm not going to start with A, 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 and then go to A, 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 B. I'm going to start with uh, my list of the most popular passwords in the world. Uh, and then I'm going to get a dictionary and I'm going to guess all the words in the dictionary. And then I'm going to start modifying those words. And I'm going to start substituting in numbers for letters. So where there are O's, I'm going to try zeros. And where there are S's, I'm going to try dollar signs. Right, right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So... Because as a password cracker, I understand that that's how people, that's how lots of people assemble their passwords. And also I can use tricks like, I understand that, uh, you know, if you visit a website and it says you must have a password with a capital letter in it, chances are you're only going to put one capital letter in the password. And the chances are you're going to put it at the beginning or the end.
3: So in trying to be random, we actually fall into very predictable patterns.
1: Yeah, so there are there are the obvious patterns, which are the ones that you're talking about where you say okay, well my pet's birthday is yeah, September. Um and then there are the sort of sub, the, the subconscious patterns that we share around you know doing things like uh, number substitution and where you yeah. put the capital letters or how many we're going to pick, you know, if I say your password must contain a capital letter, it's going to contain one capital letter, not four. Interesting. Um, and then the other side of that is, if I, if I do know who you are, if I know that I'm trying to crack uh, Corol Terrio's account, then I can go and hoover up all your social media information. Mm-hmm. And that can help me enormously in terms of trying to decide, you know, how I'm going to approach cracking your password. You know, what have you written and what's your vocabulary? And I could, if I wanted to, if I was really determined, I could just go and download everything you've ever written and use that as my dictionary.
3: Yeah, that's a scary thought. What advice do we have for people that know about passwords and need ways to teach people to do better passwords? Do you suggest they just use password managers? Yeah,
1: so there's two separate areas of advice, really. The first is, okay, so you're an end user, what should you do? How can you overcome your brain's inability to produce a random password that's hard to guess? My advice would be don't bother. Don't even try. You know, don't come up with a formula. You 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 don't understand how much you're fighting against yourself, you know we do have password managers. There are perfectly good pieces of software out there that can do this for you. Computers are very good at choosing random numbers or certainly much better at it than we are. I think it's time to stop giving users advice about passwords. I think there's been this enormous dereliction of duty within the um, IT Infosec community for too long where we've said the security of our systems rely entirely on your ability to choose really good passwords and we all know that you're really bad at that there are some really simple things that um, companies and systems administrators can do to take control of those passwords on behalf of their users and take control of the security and the first one is simply to stop people from choosing bad passwords so earlier we were talking about these lists of you know the 100 worst passwords Well, there are lists of of the 10,000 worst passwords and the million worst passwords. Instead of telling people you've got to have a password that matches this formula, simply tell them when they type in the password, when they say, right, I want my password to be 123456, you stop them from doing it and you say, did you know that's one of the 25 worst passwords? So you're not allowed to choose that. That's too easy to guess. The second thing that companies can do is that they can use rate limiting. So rate limiting is where you say, you only get to try your password three times, or you only try get you only get to try your password ten times. So exactly what happens on your phone, right? Yeah. Okay. So you can you can essentially drastically strengthen passwords, or you can essentially strengthen passwords on behalf of your users simply by preventing um, adversaries from making multiple guesses. You might you might have an incremental lockout, so you say okay, well you get. You get three guesses, and if you don't get it right in three guesses, we're going to lock you out for ten minutes. But if you do three more and you don't get it, we're going to lock you out for an hour. And then if you do three more, we're going to lock you out for a
3: day. I'm going to be one of those people that's going to hate that, <laughs> though. I understand why. I just seem to be just always hitting the wrong keys on my phones and stuff.
1: So that's another human <laughs> weakness. Another human <laughs> weakness to do with We haven't even got into that.
3: <laughs> um, Fat finger syndrome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually, what I should have said is that's just you, Carol. <laughs> All the rest of us are fine. <laughs> uh, and the other, so, the, so the, and the last thing that you can do is, is to use 2FA, two-factor authentication. I, d- I don't think there's enough of that. There's voluntary two-factor authentication adoption.
3: Right. So you're talking about companies enforcing stronger security policies, taking back the ownership of passwords so that they actually better protect the environment.
1: Exactly that. Exactly that. It's it's time to acknowledge that, that fundamental human weakness.
3: You know, what Mark's saying gives me hope. Get the importance of passwords. After all, I prefer the use of a made-up passcode than using intrinsic information about me that I can't change, such as my date of birth or my social security number. These things are part of me, and if they get hacked, they're gone. So I don't like the use of those things, but he's addressing the problems that I have, that I can't keep all these complex passwords, random passwords, in my head. If we can hand over the password creation component to online services and on-site experts that will prevent us from actually getting hacked and our vulnerability being exposed, surely that's going to radically reduce phishing and ransomware and all kinds of other online nasties. Food for thought. This was Carol Terrio for the CyberWires Hacking Humans. What do you think, Joe? Hold on,
0: Dave. Let me get up on the rooftop here real mm. quick. Use a password manager! <laughs>
2: So, watch your step on the ladder getting back down there. Thank Joe. you, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> had, to, had to scream that again. Yeah.
0: A couple observations. Number one, the top 25 worst passwords never change. Mm-hmm. That stems from a, a, a brilliant observation that Mark makes in this interview, and that is, I don't know if it's an observation or a statement, that humans are designed to produce order. Right. It's what we like. It's why we have a society. Mm-hmm. Right? So don't even try to generate random passwords use a password manager. Computers are pretty good at generating pseudo-random passwords that are almost impossible to guess, mm-hmm. right? I like the idea of rate limiting. That's a great idea. It's it's very easy to do that in an enterprise. i worked in a very large organization for a number of years, and they had a lockout policy, and I even administered a system that we had a lockout policy. If somebody tried to enter their password three times and failed, they were locked out of the system, and they had to come see us to unlock the system, right. unlock their password. And we would say, was it you... That was our first question: Was it you who entered those passwords incorrectly? Mm-hmm. And they would say, "Yeah, invariably they would say, "Yeah, it was us." And I'd say, "That's fine. I'm happy to do it. I'm going to reset your password now, but I need to know that it was you that did that, because if the answer to that question is no, I have a different issue. Two-factor authentication is great. I think that goes a long way, even to preventing having accounts violated if they are using bad passwords.
2: Yeah, if something's important to you,, yeah, something's
0: valuable. Auth- do have two factor, right? Just no some brainer. kind of two factor. Yep. Even if it's just a text message sent to your phone. I know that's not 100% secure, but it's much more secure than nothing. Right. And somebody has to do a lot of work in order to compromise that. Mm-hmm. Why do we have a hard time generating the random passwords is because we're designed to produce order. You don't need to know why we're bad at, at generating random passwords. Just understand that we are bad at generating random <laughs> just passwords. Just accept that. Just accept it. Yeah. yeah. You don't need to know how gravity works in order to know that falling off a cliff is a bad idea. Right. 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 You, you, can, you can see something fall off the cliff and go, well, it looks like that would hurt. And it's not so obvious with passwords for people, right? Yeah. Weak passwords are a bad idea. Reusing passwords or using your own passwords that you come up with is just a bad idea.
2: No, I'm definitely guilty of it. I've taken that formula approach in the past before I had a password manager. Right. You know, that I would uh, – how clever I was, I'd use some sort of root password and then I'd vary it using a a formula – and uh this was great until one day uh actually I, I'd already moved on to using a password manager, but one of uh, the folks I work with, a colleague that i that I met through the cyberwire said, "Hey, uh, do you mind if I try to look up and send you a bunch of your past passwords?" right?" And I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and so he sends me a list of about a dozen of my passwords right And this was chilling. This was just, and you know this is going on, but to have someone do it so effortlessly and just send it to you and like, it's kind of
0: like a magician saying, is this your card? <laughs> right.
1: And you're yeah. like, yes, that, yeah, that is, is
2: my a, card. That is my
0: password. <laughs> yes. So I remember a couple of months ago, we had that article from Virginia Tech, I think it was, mm. where if they know that you use a, a base password and just and just augment it slightly in order to make your next password, oh, right, right. they can usually guess it in under 10 guesses. Under 10 guesses. Right. right. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, our thanks to Carol Theriault. Always great to have her back. And our thanks to Mark Stockley from Sophos' Naked Security for joining us as well. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.